Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and this is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. As a mom of four kids in New York City and a writer myself, I know all too well how short everyone is on time, so I'm here to help. I'm going to interview authors and writers of all types about their work, especially as it relates to parenting and family issues. Hopefully you can listen while doing 8 million other things and fall in love with these talented scribes and their fantastic books, essays, and songs like I have, plus get some tips on surviving parenthood. For more about me, you can check out my essays at zibbyowens.com. This episode has been sponsored by Chloe's Fruit, the cool way to eat fruit. Their website is chloesfruit.com. I'm very excited to be chatting with Christina Alger this morning. Christina, a former financial analyst and corporate attorney, is the author of two wonderful novels, The Darlings and This Was Not the Plan. She has another novel, The Banker's Wife, coming out this summer, and she's a mom of two kids. You can read more about her on her website, christinaalger.com. So welcome to Christina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's start by talking about New York, which we were just doing beforehand. Um, as you know, I'm a native New Yorker, too. Um, Christina and I both went to the same preschool and have kids there as well. Um, one of the first things you mentioned in your bio is that you're a native New Yorker. How much do you feel that informs your writing? I know your books are all set in the city, but do you think giving being a native New Yorker gives you a different point of view from someone who came here later in life? So I think, yeah, it does inform our reading. And I think that's why, I think it's the first thing I say in my bio. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I yeah, yeah. And I will say I hate writing bios. I find them really stressful because I never really know what, it's so hard to explain who you are in three sentences or less. And I never really know what people want to hear. But I do think New York features so heavily in all my books that it's sort of important for me to explain that I've been here for, you know, 38 plus years. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by people that live here and there's so many stories worth telling that are in New York that's why I sort of obsessively write about it so um yes that's why I mentioned it in my bio right off the bat you do such a good job the scene in the darlings with the the, the intro scene even of the benefit where it's just like I could have been in that room that you were describing <laughs> I was like this is crazy this is like just so it's just so accurate it's like um, your depiction of New York. Um, but anyway, you say uh, in The Darlings about when one of the characters is thinking about moving, um, the husband says, Meryl would never go for it. He didn't even want to ask her. New York wasn't just a city to Meryl. It was a part of her being. Is that how you feel about it? And uh, how can you explain how deeply ingrained the city is to its natives? <laughs> you know, it's well, we, as we were just discussing, yeah. my husband and I have sort of almost moved out of New York a bunch of times and then I've always found a reason to stay. And I, you know, there's that wonderful John Updike quote that says, you know, people in New York think that anyone who lives anywhere else is in some sense joking. And I think <laughs> a lot of New Yorkers sort of feel that way. And it's New York living here is such a unique experience. I mean, it's a walking city. You know, it's, it's very stressful to live here, but I think it's really rewarding. And so it's hard I think once you've had this experience to see yourself living elsewhere. And um, I, there's not a New Yorker I know who doesn't think about moving out all the time because it is so stressful to live here. So I feel like there's a lot of, we all have this sort of internal struggle of, you know, the pros of living here are amazing. The cons are serious cons and there's this internal struggle. And so you see, I think literally every character I have in all my books is going through it because I've been going through it, you know, I'm, 38 and I've been going through it my whole life so you know I have a love-hate relationship with New York and I think a lot of people do too so yeah as I was mentioning I feel the same way <laughs> um although I still think it's nice to walk out the door and always run into someone because I think for most people who grew up in New York and 
so many people stay here versus perhaps other yes. places that it becomes communities just build on top of each other. Yeah, which is, you know, it's funny. Jonathan is so fascinated by how sort of small towny the Upper Jonathan, East Side husband, is. is. Yes, my husband, sorry, is from L.A. And, you know, L.A. is so spread out and it's very transient. People sort of come and go and he's sort of mesmerized by the fact that I went to the same school for 13 years and all my best friends still live in the neighborhood and, you know, all my mom's friends still live in the neighborhood and, you know, we can't walk down the street without running into people and there's something really small towny about it. I think New York is sort of micro local in that way. And it's, you know, I I find that, I I love that about New York, but, you know, I could see how it would get annoying as well. (laughs) And my daughter this morning, we passed somebody I you know, went to school with and she's like, you know, so many people here. I'm like, I know. You will too one day. Um, when you write about female friendships in The Darlings, you say, Ines, is that pronounced right? Ines? Yes, Ines. Ines f- felt strongly that women were rarely friends with one another unless they could get something out of it. Female friendships were like strategic alliances. Each party had to bring something to the table in order to maintain equity. Do you feel this way and have you seen <laughs> women behaving this way? Is that how you came up with that? Is well, it New York that makes women behave that way? So I will say Ines is like a totally loathsome character. I mean, she's she's very strategic. So I think, you know, that's her viewpoint on the world. Um, so I am, I'm not Ines. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly don't feel that way about my own female friendships. Um, but yes, I think the city is... You know, New York is a very type A competitive place. And I think there are a lot of people that see everything as a competition and everything as a strategic alliance. And it's kind of one of the fascinating things about living here. I mean, it's a very merit-based place in a lot of ways because I think, you know, um, people respect hard work here and they respect kind of scrappiness. And um, But there are a lot of very cutthroat people. And Inez is one of them. And so that's sort of how she views the world. Um and yeah, I don't think there's any woman who lives in New York who would not say they don't know women that see the world that way. Um, and I don't know if it's particular, I, you know, I don't think it's particular to women. I think men too. Um, but yes, I think the flip side of it is, you know, female alliances are extremely powerful. And, you know, when they're, you know, born out of love and affection and respect, they bear amazing fruit. And I've definitely, you know, I have my best friends are other moms here, people I grew up with here. And so I think there are a lot of amazing women in the city also. And, you know, this podcast is sort of a testament to that. (laughs) Did you, uh, did you read Wednesday Martin's Primates of Park Avenue? I did not read it. I did not. (laughs) I did read, um, an article that she wrote and, you know, I, that book troubled me because I felt that it was sort of mean spirited. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've actually been criticized for um, again and again is that, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for my characters, even the really despicable ones. And so, you know, Inez is someone who I think is sort of, you know, of that ilk, the very kind of socialite New York woman. But I have a lot of sympathy for her, too, and I try and paint all my characters with a sympathetic brush. And um, my understanding of that book was that that didn't, I'm not sure... Wednesday Martin did that, um, as her pain, her characters as sympathetically. So I didn't read it because I didn't want to get myself upset. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read it and actually ended up interviewing her for Avenue magazine. Oh, and, okay. Like, How would, to task on wow. things. I want to so. interview you about yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, more on that later, but, um, 
Okay, now just to move for a minute to This Was Not the Plan, which is also so good. Uh, you tell the story from a man's point of view, Charlie Goldwyn. Um, was doing this difficult? You were just so in it, in his head, writing this, yeah. this piece. And um, I know you had mentioned at one point um, you had seen your husband coping with his lack of paternity leave when mm-hmm. you had your baby. Um, but how, how did you get into his headspace so, so well? And what was it like for you? Well, I thank you. I don't. I still don't know if I did it effectively or not. But it was really. It's really hard. I think it's something that you can't take lightly when you try and, you know, um, move into the headspace of someone who's very different than yourself. And I think what I came to the conclusion was that Charlie is actually a lot like me. He's like a very sort of. I was a very type A sort of workaholic lawyer, and you know when I had my daughter, we had a very troubled pregnancy, um, and she was born early, and she had a lot of medical complications, and it just became clear right away that I was not going to be able to just go back to work as I had planned, and that was extremely disorienting for me because I'm someone who's always really identified myself through my work, and you know, but I, what I thought was so fascinating was, you know, my husband did not get to take a year off. And I mean, I did, and it was, you know, at great detriment to my career. I gave back in advance that I had already started working on a book for. And, but, you know, people understood, they understood that I was a mom and I was a mom of a child that had medical issues and people were very understanding. And I, with my husband, you know, he was back in the office three days later and there was something I found so, um, you know, troublesome about the fact that no one talks about that. And there are so many wonderful books. And this is the reason I chose to write about Charlie and not a woman like Charlie, is that I think there are a lot of fabulous books that talk about motherhood and the challenges of being a working mom. And there's a lot of, you know, very funny fiction about it. And I didn't really see that happening um, with fathers. And so I came up with this idea kind of I don't know, during some late night breastfeeding session when I hadn't slept in like 40 days. And I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but it would be so interesting to write about a guy who's doing this by himself and really has to figure out how to be both a parent and kind of a successful man. And that's something that's been important to him his whole life. And, um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of single dads, which was also totally fascinating when I was writing it because um, I wanted to make sure I was really getting the nuances of their experience right. And I made my husband read things over and over and over <laughs> again. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard to write from a male perspective, but, um, but it was fun too. And I think, um, you know, Charlie and I are probably more similar than we are not similar, so... Hopefully not with a big drunken outburst. No, that's not how I left my law firm, although a lot of people have asked. Um, No, but it's funny, you know, my, I did feel like, you know, in in a totally different and kind of less humorous way, but my career was completely derailed by parenthood, as I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. And so, yeah, you know, I, I relate to that experience where like one day you feel like you're on this particular track and the next day you're not, and you have to figure out what that means and, you know, how to reconcile it. So. And the definition of a successful career. I mean, I would argue you're having the sort of renaissance of a career with the writing versus being a lawyer. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. It's, you know, I was lucky that I had started writing before I had kids because I felt like I had a little bit of wiggle room to bounce back um, after, you know, the year that I sort of went down this rabbit hole of being just a full-time parent. Um, But, 
you know, um, I never, I never could have had like this career now is something that I couldn't have done at my law firm. And so I'm really grateful that I have a job that's flexible and project based. And so, and ultimately you see Charlie find his way into something like that too. But law firm life is, you know, it's very all consuming. And I think it's sort of fundamentally hard to balance with parenthood. So it was something I was interested in writing about. I love how um, it was his wife who had passed away his birthday and everybody kept asking him how he was doing, but it was about a case. About, yeah. About her birthday. <laughs> so, um, um, so tell me more about A Banker's Wife, which is your book coming out this summer. I think you said July 3rd. Yeah, July 3rd. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's um, So it's funny. So The Darlings, I always saw The Darlings as a financial thriller, um, although... I don't know. I think it was described sort of as somewhere between a thriller and a social drama. Um, but I always thought it thought of it as a thriller, and that's sort of what I read and what I, I it's primarily what I read. And so I always um, thought that I would go back to writing that kind of book. So the banker's wife is just a pure financial thriller. It's um, about a leak, a, a data leak that comes out of a Swiss bank. And it's told from two perspectives. Um, one is the wife of a banker who goes missing, and the other is a journalist that's sort of investigating this behemoth of a Swiss bank that um, has a lot of very shady clients. So it was really fun to write, and it's sort of, I think, what I will be writing going forward. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it, and it comes out in a few months. That's awesome. What are some books that you are some of your favorites? So I... You know, I try and ping pong between um, kind of more literary fiction and thrillers, um, but there are a lot of crossovers. I like I, I love reading John Grisham. I think his early stuff is brilliant. I love Lee Child. I love Nelson DeMille. Um, and then you know, I um, as I was telling you, I have this book club, and I'm trying to make it all in all female authors. Um, so Janice Lee has come. She's incredible. Um, I loved Pachinko. I would die of happiness if she would come to our book club um so I don't know I sort of go back and forth but um I'm a big I'm a big buyer of what I see as kind of upmarket thrillers like literary thrillers and that's what I aspire to write throughout your books or at least through these books and the preview of the next book uh death seems to be a very big theme for you uncle morty dying early on in the darlings charlie's wife dying and this was not the plan and now the plane crashing at the beginning of the banker's wife i'm not giving anything away by saying all this um your characters are all shown coping with the loss of someone that they care about i just wanted to see you know what's what's that about have you lost someone close to you that makes you want to delve into this deeper yeah yeah i mean i so i always tell people that i feel like writing is cheaper than therapy (laughs) and it's like equally cathartic um so you know i i started my I feel like my life was very much defined by the fact that my father died on September 11th and he, it was, I was a week into my senior year at college. And at the time I thought I was going to go be an English professor. I studied medieval literature at Harvard, which is totally useless in every possible way, except for if you want to go get a PhD in medieval literature. And I was sort of on this very particular track. And then my dad died in this very dramatic and tragic way so and well thank so you I it's um you know it's something that um you know it was very defining for me and 
immediately my perspective changed and I wanted to move back to New York and I wanted to get a job where my mom didn't have to worry about me making money. So I took a job at Goldman Sachs, Mm -hmm. which was sort of insane because I was terrible at math and knew nothing except for Anglo-Saxon poetry. And um, I spent my 20s really grappling with the loss of my dad. Um, And, you know, I think I'm still grappling with it. It's um, I'm not sure it's something, you know, you ever really get over, but it's been a very defining part of my adult life. And so, yes, it's a theme that I think keeps coming up over and over in my books. Um, But I also think, you know, I think they're at the end of the day, they're not that many things worth writing about. (laughs) Like, I think grief and loss is one of them. And so, you know, maybe it's just the books that I choose to read, but I find that grief and loss are often, you know, sort of, they're universal themes. And I think they're themes that almost everyone relates to. Um, and it isn't necessarily about who, who it is in particular, but, um, you know, I think, I think most people by middle age as, as we are, have experienced loss in some way. And middle age, stop. <laughs> stop. Um, early, early, I don't know, early middle age, late young adultness um, <laughs> have experienced loss. So I think it's, you know, it's a topic that I'm interested in. And um, I also, you know, I think one of the ways I, I grappled with my dad dying young was reading and books that I felt like um, relayed that experience in a way that I, I, you know, resonated with me, um, were so helpful. And so, um, I just, like, I remember reading Joan Didion's books, which are Mm -hmm. incredibly hard to read in some ways, but they're so, they're so well said. I mean, you're like, I couldn't say this better if I tried. And I, you know, if I can do that for one other person, that's awesome to be able to make someone feel like, you know, there are books out there that talk about this experience and see their characters through the other side of grief. And so I think that's important to me also. I, uh, I lost my college roommate and best friend on 9-11. Oh, wow. And I've written a lot about that experience too. I feel like writing per your comment about therapy. <laughs> yes, been, I know. Um, really helpful so and I was also I was at Harvard Business School then oh really so we should have wow. I wish I, I had known you I know yeah, just to um anyway uh but this is what happens when you're a New Yorker right? <laughs> I when know you have a big a catastrophe in New York <laughs> yeah the world is is very small um can you tell me a little more about your writing process like paint us a picture where do you write when how often oh when God, do you share I wish <laughs> Do you have a process? It's funny. I'm in this book club with a bunch of um, crime writers, and I'm the youngest one, and I'm the least successful. And I'm, I think, the only woman, although there are a couple of female journalists. But it's so funny to hear the guys in our group talk about their process because they are not parents of small children, and so they, like, all have their own office, and they go, and, like, some of them will, like, stay up all night drinking. And (laughs) I'm like, God, that sounds sort of (laughs) fabulous and bohemian. Um, That is not my process. It's been really, it's really hard to write with kids. I mean, you have to kind of force, you know, you can't wait for the muse to inspire you because you have so few hours in the day. Um, so what I found is I actually can't really write for more than three or four hours a day. I start kind of just writing nonsense. Um, so I try and write first thing in the morning. And by that, I mean, like three hours after everyone's awake right. and out the door, um, And so, you know, most mornings I go to a quiet place, and by that I mean like Starbucks or a library, and I sit and I try and work until about lunchtime. 
and then I usually go for a walk or do something to clear my head and then I pick my kids up from school and it's different I mean you know I that's sort of what I aspire to do five days a week but you know life gets in the way a lot so um it's not you know it's a it's a work in progress and then I do tend to edit and do kind of less um intense sort of brain work after my kids are asleep so my kids are little so they're asleep by 7 30 and so yes I know it is nice although they get up very early but my husband and I have sort of taken to it's I don't I can't decide if it's like deeply romantic or like deeply unromantic but we will get takeout and just sit and work together at the dining room table after they're asleep and um you know it sort of is what it is and it's this phase of life but um but it's, you know, kind of the best I can do at this point. And are you working on a new book now? or what are you I am. To? I am. So I'm working on a book called Snowbird, which um, I, I signed a two-book deal after The Banker's Wife. So I theoretically should be working on this book and then another book after that. Um, but I'm sort of halfway through it. And um, it's a thriller. It's set out in Long Island. Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's been really fun. Um, it's a little hard when you're coming up into a book tour mm-hmm. to like toggle between the two books. So I found that to be a little bit challenging because I'm starting to do press for Banker's Wife and I have to juggle that with, you know, my work in progress. But um, but I can't complain. I love writing. So it's like my hobby that is actually my job. That's awesome. Did you have to sell the idea of the second book of the two book deal? Like, do you already know what that no. one is? No. So, no. It's actually, it's so funny. I just signed my contract, although we negotiated the deal a while ago, and it just says, like, untitled, and it's, like, this total blank slate, thank God, because I can't think that far ahead. Although, I do have ideas, and my editor is amazing, and so we, you know, we obviously, like, kicked around ideas before signing the contract. So, I have a few ideas that are sort of percolating, but um, I'm trying to stay focused on book four and not think too hard about book five. And you mentioned also um, your books have been optioned into movies. So we, well, we shows, yeah. So The Darlings, we um, we actually developed it and we got pretty far down the road developing it for HBO into a show. Um, and I was really involved with that process and then it sort of died on the vine as many shows do. Um, but it was really fun. And so at some point I'd like to write screenplays um, more. I think... The Banker's Wife, we are working on selling it to um, as a show as well. And it's I have conceded that I'm not a professional screenwriter. And so this time around, especially given that I have two other books that I've been contracted for, I, I do not want to write the screenplay. I want someone, as I keep saying to my agent, I want a real screenwriter to write it. So um, I'm not sure how involved I'll be with it if it does get made into something but um but I love being part of that process it's really fun and I think I write in a very cinematic way I sort of tend to visualize every scene and my chapters tend to correlate with like a you know particular scene and I can sort of see it in the movie reel in my head so it's you know fun to think about it getting made into something yeah that's awesome um do you have any advice to aspiring novelists and any advice to someone thinking of moving to New York? Oh, wow. Um, well, Very different. <laughs> aspiring novelists. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of aspiring novelists, and I always say to them just, first of all, you know, it's sort of like I feel like writing a novel is, you know, you have, I, I'm sure everyone has friends in L.A. that they've heard about who write screenplays in like five days, and 
um, you know, or journalists who, you know, turn over an article a week or whatever it is. And novels are, you know, they're a labor of love. I mean, you're sort of chipping away very slowly at something that gets built over a year, 10 years. And I think you just have to stick with it. And it sometimes feels very daunting when you're writing, you know, a thousand words a day and your goal is 80,000 words. Um, but you know, I think, um, one of the things I've told a lot of people is I think agents are hungry for finished products. And I think a lot of agents and editors see a lot of kind of half-baked projects where people want reassurance, as I did when I was writing The Darlings, that someone would buy it if I was, you know, spent the time to finish it. But I think people are routinely surprised, in my opinion, by how eager agents are for products that are just finished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, books evolve so much during the editorial process. And so I always say, just get it out, like get the story out, get it out on paper and finish it. And then you can go back and polish it. Um, And I tell myself this all the time because my sort of type A OCD like personality, I always want to go back and edit everything. But I think if you can just get the full draft on paper, someone will want to read it. I really believe that. So, um, you know, go, go write. Um, as to for people that want to live live in New York or move to New York, I think New York, New York is so weird. I feel like people either love it or they hate it, and it's pretty clear right away if it's for you or not. Um, I actually don't think, like, native New Yorkers are actually people who have been living here their whole lives. I think native New Yorkers are people that, like, take to this lifestyle really quickly. Like, my parents were the New Yorkiest people you've ever met in your life, and my mom grew up in Havana and my dad grew up in Brussels and, but like you could not find two more New York people. I mean, they would never live anywhere else. Like the idea that my mom would live anywhere else is just an anathema to her. And so I think people sort of take to the vibrancy and rhythm of the city or they don't. And you, I, I think you figure it out pretty quickly. Um, so it's like a very manic, um, high energy place and, if that's what you're looking for, this is the place to be. And if it's not, um, I think it can be very overwhelming. Um, but I don't know. I think everyone should try and live in New York once in their life. I said to my mom once, because um, she spends a lot of time in Arizona, I was like, Have you, why don't you sell your apartment? What, what do you think? And she was like, New York is my home. home I know. This is my home. Are you kidding? <laughs> Even if I spend time elsewhere, this is it. This is my home. So. Um, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. My mom is, you know, she's not leaving. She's, she's going nowhere. Yeah. So she's like, you know, every time one of her friends moves to Florida or whatever, she's like, they're crazy. What are they thinking? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's pretty nice down there. But, um, yeah, I think New Yorkers is always, you'll always come back here. Well, well thank you so much. For no, it was a total pleasure. Being on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And thanks to everybody for listening, uh, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, sponsored by Chloe's Fruit. Thanks so much.